0: Folks, you're listening to The John DiPietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Joining us right now, not only a professor of law, famed attorney, it is Wendy Murphy. Wendy, uh, first of all, so great for you to uh, join us. And I've been following your coverage on the Karen Reed case. I'd like to get your thoughts on where the case sits right now, and specifically the interview that she did on ABC's Nightline the other night.
1: Yeah good to be with you John. Um, You know the bit that I know about what she said on Nightline because I didn't watch the actual Nightline piece but I did watch the reports of what what she said. I don't think anything she says changes what we already know to be true (laughs) which is that the the combination of the statement she made and the forensic evidence um, really are unassailable if you ask me proof that uh, she did hit him she killed him she backed into him slammed his head down and that's how he died i i think that the nightline piece just in terms of giving her an opportunity to say publicly something different than what she has said to others including police is so typical of defense strategies in certain kinds of cases where under no circumstances are they going to let her speak again to police, right? Because police would be able to challenge her with what they know the evidence to be, and she wouldn't be able to get away with making self-serving statements um, without somebody saying, well, let me ask you this and clarify it based on the, the other information we have. She's not going to do that. But it's a lot easier for a defendant who wants to try to muck up the record, who wants to try to taint the jury pool, who wants to try to influence the court of public opinion, to just use the media as as a place where they can say nonsense, try to make themselves look sympathetic, you know, say things that are inconsistent with what they've said before, um, and in that sense, you, you know, they 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 get to. Um, um, What's the right word? They they get to uh, contest the evidence without contesting it in a way that the people who have full access to the record would be able to challenge and prove is a bunch of nonsense. So I don't think anything she said on The Nightline Show changes what I know to be true about the case and what anyone knows to be true about the case if you just read what's been filed in court.
0: Wendy, a lot of people that are following it, and again, folks, speaking with Attorney Wendy Murphy, they seem stuck on – that the defense, you know, they're the only ones investigating and they have this alternative theory and this conspiracy. He was jumped in the house and then he was killed. How, how, what, how, it, it seems a lot of people maybe don't understand that sometimes the alternative theory can can be common, a, a common defense technique.
1: Yeah, I, I don't begrudge anybody charged with a crime the right to come up with a defense that points the finger elsewhere. Plan B strategy is what you learn in defense attorney school on day one. But the problem is when there's nothing to support what you're doing, number one, you risk angering the jury. If you propose something to the jury that they know is nonsense, they're going to come after your client with a vengeance and be more likely in the Karen Meet case, be more likely to convict her of murder where they might have you know, found her guilty of manslaughter if they just heard a different type of defense maybe focused on the fact that she didn't want to kill him, she was drunk, et cetera. So when you throw up some kind of cockamamie idea about how all the people involved, uh, all the cops, all the firefighters, everybody uh, somehow decided to come together and not only uh, kill the guy but then cover it up, I mean, it's, it's so irrational that I think it will offend the jury. And there's a risk here, in my view, that, number one, Karen Reed is receiving inadequate uh, representation by her attorneys, and that because she may end up being convicted of murder where I don't think she deserves that, I think this is a manslaughter case, I think she's overcharged. Yeah. But, you know, there's a real risk that... Um, she could sue her attorneys for malpractice for pursuing such a crazy claim. And again, if, if, if a defense attorney wants to pr- propose a theory where there's at least some basis, in fact, in, in, in the sense that you know, you're, you're not gonna offend anybody by proposing it, that's fine. You can do that, but that is not this case. I mean, they are literally making stuff up that is factually demonstrably incorrect and then creating this crazy conspiracy theory around it. Um, so there may be, you know, people being paid to promote this this theory. There may be PR involved, and I think we all know that defense attorneys sometimes can spend money promoting false information. And literally, if you hire a PR ter- uh, PR firm to, or in this in this day and age, social media uh, to elevate nonsense you know it might look like you're making progress on, on social media but that's not going to translate into a real world uh benefit in terms of what the what the jury and what the judge are going to think about the case because they they see the truth and some of what's going on in social media and on television and all these you know bought and paid for uh, bits and pieces that people are reading about the downside is for people who latch on because they like to hate cops or they want to embrace a conspiracy theory because that's the kind of people they are uh they're entitled to do that but for me what's at stake here is a as a woman a human being's life she could face life behind bars Hmm. so you know it's like a mix of entertainment over here but real world justice over here and These two things do not go well in this case, and I think Karen Reed is going to be the loser in the end. She's going to get hooked for murder because of this defense strategy.
0: In the Nightline piece, and again, folks, speak with Attorney uh, Wendy Murphy, Karen Reed uh, basically didn't push back that the prosecutors are saying that she had nine drinks that night.
1: Yeah, um, I read in one of the pleadings that it was at least— seven okay and i think i mean whether it's seven or nine uh kind of doesn't matter no i don't think she doubts and nobody doubts that she was drunk she even made statements to that effect to people what the following morning you know she said i was so drunk i don't even remember what happened um that you know again that's why this is a manslaughter case when you get drunk and you're driving your car and you hit someone the most common charge is manslaughter, because you're not trying to kill someone. You're just too drunk to drive safely. And that's what this case felt like in the beginning. It was a sad story about a woman who, you know, didn't necessarily uh, agree with her boyfriend about everything. I know they had difficulties, but there was no evidence she wanted to kill him. Right. even Even if they had problems. She wasn't intending to kill him, but she was drunk. And because she was drunk, she didn't drive safely, and he ended up dead. That's the story of this case, and nothing else is going to change that because that's what the forensic evidence proves. That's what Karen Reed's own statements
0: prove. Wendy, in the Nightline piece, she also says she dropped him off, he's in the driveway, and then she looks down at her phone. So she doesn't come out and say, I saw him enter the house. What what are we to make of that?
1: Well, you know, even if she did say, I saw him enter the house, it it doesn't matter. Because what we know that's irrefutable is that her car is in front of the house. We know she drove him to the house. We know he got out of the car and we know he ended up dead. We know that she made statements saying that she did a three point turn. So she pulls up parallel in front of the house. He gets out roughly at the bottom of the driveway but there's also a sidewalk then that goes from the driveway on the right over to the left where his body was later found um and she says she did a three-point turn in the middle of the road uh and and backs up where his where he would have been i mean when you say i did a three-point turn you're admitting you had to back your car up toward the toward the house toward the sidewalk toward the bottom of the driveway where you dropped him off um so it doesn't matter what else she says because the things that she did say in the immediate aftermath of the incident are the are the statements the jury's going to embrace as true a jury a jury's not stupid they're going to know that defense attorney theories come up with things months months later and that stuff is less credible than what's said in the immediate aftermath and what she said about doing a three-point turn is consistent with the forensic evidence that when she backed her car up on the second leg of the three or on the first leg of the three-point turn she hit him he was probably sitting on his butt when she hit him because that's why she didn't see him in Mm. her rear view mirror she may have heard a warning sign in her car the forensics that investigated her car uh said that that functionality was working so she might have thought she was backing up into a sidewalk not necessarily a person but he was clearly sitting on his butt when she hit him because he was hit in the forehead right above his eye which is where the car would have contact with a human if the human was sitting down when the car backed into them we also know that he was holding a a cocktail glass in his right hand and that cocktail glass uh, shards of it landed inside the area of her taillight which broke when she crashed into him so she crashes into him first into his right hand which breaks the cocktail glass which is why some of that glass landed in her taillight and then she slams her corner taillight into his head slamming him back down onto the pavement either the driveway or the sidewalk doesn't matter the point is it's pavement and and that's how he died that skull fracture is how he died. There is no innocent explanation for how her taillight broke. Pieces of her taillight were found at the crime scene. Again, a piece of the glass that he was holding that must have smashed because he was holding his arm up to try to stop the car from hitting him. Pieces of glass from that cocktail drink landing in her tailgate. I mean, there is no innocent explanation for how that got into her tailgate her taillight and it doesn't matter what you say about conspiracy theories the forensic evidence is the objective proof the conspiracy theory is made up out of whole cloth you got to get a very stupid jury together to not believe the obvious in this case
0: wendy one final question again folks speak with attorney wendy murphy on the nightline piece again uh one of the things they brought out was apparently at, right around new year's or new year's eve the couple uh john o'keefe karen reed and also the two children they were away somewhere and then she claims he was drinking very heavily so they had an argument and then he storms off for the night after midnight and then he he's out till like 3 a.m and it was a big apparently according to the nightline piece it was a big you know um incident of of um back and forth between the two of them simply because he had kind of like stranded her with the two children is any significance to that that maybe there's some kind of a pattern where after heavy drinking, he like storms off and then she has to go back and take care of the children?
1: Well, maybe. I mean, I don't like to form opinions about somebody's potential behavior based on what they've done in the past. It's not unreasonable to consider that they had trouble in their relationship sure because that could go to uh her state of mind whether she was drunk or not if she was in a bad mood maybe that contributed to her being careless Hmm. now one one could even argue that that's why she did it on purpose and there are people who believe that there are people who think she intentionally backed into him she wanted to kill him etc The reason I don't – and that's because they had a terrible relationship. She didn't like being burdened with the kid. Whatever the story is about the problems, they were going to break up. The fact is it's clear he was hit while sitting on his butt, which is why his head is injured and not his waist. If he was standing up, he wouldn't have been injured in the front of the forehead the way that he was. But we know he was hit while sitting down. That's just logical. And that tells me that she wasn't planning to hit him because she she if he was standing, she would have seen him. And then you can make the argument she saw him and wanted to kill him. But because he was sitting, it allows me to infer, this is my opinion, that she didn't want to kill him. She just didn't see him because he was sitting down. Now, I know there's also some controversy about uh you know, whether whether she tried to lie about it because she made statements the following morning saying, I don't even remember being at the house and she had to be corrected. Oh yes, you were there. And again, she then says, Oh yes, I did drop him off. So she had this let's just say uh fortuitous lapse of memory about whether she was even at the house. But you can imagine that she now realizes when she wakes up, she realizes I ki- I must have hit him because yeah. she remembered hitting something right she told her father I hit something She told the paramedic who got there from the fire department I hit him I hit him I hit him when mm. the paramedic asked her how he ended up with the damage to his head she told other people did I hit him did I hit him I think I hit him if you intentionally killed someone you wouldn't make those statements right but if you knew that you were drunk, and you weren't being careful, and maybe you were even angry at him, that is exactly the kind of thing you would say. Now, people make up all kinds of stories because his body didn't land where it fell. In other words, she knocks him over, he slams his head on the asphalt, but the body landed a distance away on, on the lawn. And people get all up in arms about, well, you can't slam your head on, on a lawn and die, so there must be another story. Well, it's it, there's a blizzard after she knocks him down, a very bad snowstorm happens. And clearly bot, the body's going to get covered by snow. So when a plow driver goes past the house, um, they're not going to see a body. The body's going to be covered by snow. And you just scoop that body up, drag it along, and it lands because of the way we know how plows are. They're not 90-degree they're not angles. They're, they're pitched and that's that bo- that body is going to get pushed right up onto the grass, which is where it landed, and it's also, in my view, why he has unusual uh, uh, vertical slashes on his arm that it, they are consistent with a blunt object. Well, the bottom of a plow, which with all its little uh, dings and broken pieces from scraping cement over the years has got those little sharp edges. That's a way to explain those injuries. Other people think his arm was injured when it, was when she backed over him and the undercarriage of the car created those injuries. I don't agree with that. And we hmm. haven't heard from the prosecution exactly what explains those arm injuries. But my God, there's there's either the plow or the undercarriage that makes logical sense. You you don't go from those injuries are weird, so let's place him in the house and claim that he was killed by his <laughs> friends and a dog a dog bit his arm. It's yeah. so silly.
0: Folks, again, she is a professor, but also um well-known attorney, Wendy Murphy. Wendy, great to talk to you. Uh, continue to follow the case, and we will talk to you again.
1: Anytime, John. Take care.